This is KBUT 90.3 Crested Butte, KGNI 88.7 Gunnison, also at 94.9 at Jack's Cabin in Almont, and at kbut.org. KBUT is community radio for the Gunnison Valley. It is 6 p.m. and you're listening to Community Radio for the Gunnison Valley. I'm Christopher Biddle. Thanks for tuning in to a special broadcast Q&A with local officials. Thanks for tuning in to our discussion this evening on the new normal. It's been 90 days since we became aware of the novel coronavirus present in our community. That's three months of public health, public health orders, social distancing, and various forced closures of sectors of our economy. Tonight, we're looking forward We're asking what the new normal will be. How do we think differently about virus transmission, about public health, about personal health? What new rules will we as a community and larger society choose to follow? What will we buy into? How will we enforce those rules? We will be discussing that tonight with a local health official, police chief, and a state lawmaker that represents Gunnison County. Uh, first of all, we want we will be taking your questions to our listeners. You can call in 970-349-7444, or you can email news at KBUT. Help us guide the conversation this evening. First, I'm going to introduce my co-host for tonight uh, and say to Chris Rourke, editor of the country, uh, Gunnison Country Times, happy birthday, and thank you for joining us tonight, Chris. We're glad to have you. Um, so I want to go ahead and start with talking to Joni Reynolds, who is a public health director here in Gunnison County uh, and a frequent member of uh, our panel here on KBUT. Uh, so as you said earlier today, Joni, not only is three months really a milestone, uh, but there's another milestone today. The public got their first look at the 10th amended public health order uh, which is a long-term order, more of a set of orders with a color-coded system to differentiate scenarios and, and risks to COVID-19. I encourage listeners to look at that document at Gunnison County's COVID-19 webpage. For tonight's discussion, we will be discussing uh, the risk level blue because that's where we are at right now. Uh, and with that, five rules to follow. Some of them are familiar, six-foot social distancing, regularly cleaning of high-touch surfaces, Uh, Some are less familiar. For instance, you're asking employers to screen their employees for COVID-19. And then there's likely to what is the the most controversial public health order. Masks will be required inside or when social distancing cannot be followed. So, Joni Reynolds, can you provide some insight into that decision uh, included to include this on the level blue? Was that a difficult decision to make? Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me this evening. I appreciate the time and appreciate the opportunity to talk with you in the community. This has been a challenge. Certainly the last 90 days has been a challenge for everyone throughout the county and um, the efforts that have been put in place by individuals have really made a collective impact for us in the community. And one of the reasons I really looked towards this public health order and considering how best to move forward was trying to think about how to do something that was more long-term a bit of prediction, if you will, or at least an opportunity to have a roadmap in front of us. It seemed like the last 90 days 
or just a car crash of which we were trying to recover from or manage the injuries from. It was certainly challenging in many ways. And one of the ways was the repeated issuance of public health orders with different requirements or different restrictions, which made it more complicated just for basic communication about what was or wasn't allowed. And then layered onto that was the differences between our public health orders and the state public health orders. So this 10th public health order is really intended to be a longstanding public health order that would last for us throughout various risk levels in our county. Well, we still have to get an approval from the state for a variance. It sets out a path ahead of us that allows us to look at local indicators, specific data points, as well as monitoring our healthcare system locally and regionally. And then looking at those data indicators to be able to determine the risk level that we're at. And like you said, Chris, we're currently at the risk level blue which is the best risk level we're gonna be at before we get a vaccine or a long-term um, solution, such as um, herd immunity or an effective treatment against this virus. That would be level green. And we would all see that day as the day to end the, end the public health orders and celebrate um, our ability to live without COVID as a threat. So in the blue level, which is the current risk level that I see for Gunnison County based on the data indicators, it's really the most open level, the level where activities can occur throughout the county and we can have the largest group gatherings or event sizes um, in the county. My goal would be to keep us at that level throughout the future as much as possible. It's the level that gives us the most opportunity for business and for commerce and as much as normal it can be with the threat of COVID. Well, we'll still see cases at this level, the cases should be small numbers of cases, a few cases in a week, and cases um, that won't overwhelm any healthcare system, and we'll be able to manage that with a healthcare system we have. That the decision was difficult, especially around masks and the requirement for the use of masks, especially for um, doing that at all risk levels. But where I focus on was looking at both literature and looking at the opportunity, particularly for the long-term, for the entire county to have the best opportunity to manage this outbreak and manage the risk when it comes to the virus spreading in the community. <clears throat> so while there's a number of things, a number of things that we can do, for me, it's the collective things that we can do. And wearing masks is one of those, along with the sanitation, the hand hygiene, using um, uh, help, looking for risk factors for individuals and helping to protect those individuals with risks. Also looking for symptoms and staying home if we're sick or calling and getting tested and, and being able to follow up on those test results quickly with those individuals that tested positive. So Joni, this is Chris Rourke. Um, with the masks, there's already some pushback uh, in monitoring social media. There are people that say, we're not wearing masks. We're going to do whatever we want to do. What are the risks with that? Not only from a, a, a penal standpoint, but from a, um, just a health standpoint. I mean, do we risk the spike again? Do we risk another shutdown? What does that look like? Yeah, I, I appreciate the question. Thank, thanks, Chris. And, and I do think this is part of the difficult part of the dance 
Because I think if we're dancing in sync and we're dancing collectively, dancing uh, both in the county, throughout the county, in the different areas with different individuals, we'll have the best opportunity to stay with the lowest risk for our community. We have that within our control. And so I do think um, coverage rates may not be 100%. I'm not expecting we'll have 100% of any of the actions that I'm asking for in the public health orders. But I do think what we see is even as much as 50 or 60% of the public using masks makes a difference. It makes a difference. It makes a difference. And the data is there to show that it makes a difference. The farther we go, the better difference it's going to make. And again, when we combine it with all the other preventive public health measures, that's where we really have the opportunity for our county collectively, individuals, businesses, communities, cities, and towns to make it as safe as possible in the community and the county itself. So what will be the procedure moving forward? Well, you know, in the past, you've taken it from a, um, we want to educate people standpoint. Is there a tipping point where when people aren't wearing masks, they're going to be approached? I mean, I, I, before we got on air, I told you about I was up in Boulder over the weekend and I went into a coffee shop and there was no one around me. I had my mask on and I was talking on the phone. Person couldn't understand me. So I dropped my mask and um, the store manager walked up to me and didn't ask, told me to put my mask back on. Uh, Were we being engaged or will we engage in that kind of, um, you know, uh, interaction? Yeah, I, I think it's about educating, and I do think it's about providing that supportive environment where we have masks available for folks that need masks, and we model wearing masks for both our community as well as for visitors that come to our community. The reality is we're at Crossroads. People come here. They come here to visit us, and they come here for a variety of recreational reasons, and we, we're going to have different folks that are going to come to the community that don't know what the norms are, what the expectations oh, yeah. are in the community. And I think that's, you know, really on everybody to help provide that support by modeling, wearing the masks, having signs, um, letting folks know about our policies, as well as, you know, reaching out um, to information at motels and other lodging, as well as, you know, the visitor center, places where the public comes to. And I think that'll be one of the best opportunities. Mm-hmm. And I know that um, I've gotten tremendous support from Chief Robinson and throughout the law enforcement community. My goal is not for our law enforcement resources to be used um, to enforce every single individual um, fraction that could happen um, related to this public health order, but really to look at the biggest opportunities to have the greatest impact across the county. You're listening to KBUT. This panel discussion was originally broadcast on Monday, June 8th as part of KBUT's ongoing Q&A series with local officials. You just heard from Gunnison County Health and Human Services Director Joni Reynolds. Also on the show that night, Keith Robinson, Chief of Gunnison City Police. Let's get back to the conversation. Chris Rourke, editor of the Gunnison Country Times and my co-host for the show, had just asked Chief Robinson about the new normal when it comes to law enforcement. Um, But I don't see what we're doing changing uh, too drastically. Uh, What we've done from the beginning is taken a stand that we need to educate and just keep encouraging people to follow what the orders are. Mm -hmm. Um, As far as the masks, uh, we've always been with all of the health orders 
educate the businesses because that's where we have a central person we can educate. Sure. Um, then for comparison, uh, how we're looking at it is similar to the no shirt, no shoes. Uh, that's a health order that right. everybody's familiar with. Uh, the businesses are the ones that enforce that. Uh, and then if somebody refuses, then they notify law enforcement because they have the right to refuse service. Mm -hmm. uh, if somebody still insists on staying, then they're trespassing. Uh, so now we're not worrying about the legality of the health order. Now it's a criminal charge that people know about. It's been on the books for years. Um, and that gets it back into a realm that we can deal with, uh, but still supports and pushes that the real objective is to put a mask on or go outside and stay out of the business. Because you want compliance. That's the end goal. Right. Yeah, the okay. goal is not to write tickets. That does nobody any good. We want people in the businesses. We want people shopping, visiting, recreating, all of that stuff. Um, but we want to do it in a healthy way so we can protect the community as a whole. Are you concerned about pushback? Because I've already kind of monitored it on social media a bit. It, it seems that people are angry about this. Um, do you anticipate people taking a righteous stand and, and making an issue out of it? In the current environment, I think people are angry about everything. Um, so, yeah, there'll be people who will push back. Uh, but we just have to keep in mind what our ultimate goal is, is just to get the majority of people complying. Okay. Christopher, you have something? Yeah, folks, I just want to let everyone know that they're listening to KBUT. Uh, that is Chris Rourke of the Gunnison Country Times, of course, my co-host this evening. Uh, apologies if I sound a little out of breath. We're running around to make sure um, we, we're staying on the air because we're sort of having an issue here at KBUT. But it looks like we've got things back up and running. Um, you were just hearing a response by Chief Keith Robinson, uh, whom I actually have a question for. I am wondering, Chief, if you have encountered any pushback within your department um, when it comes to mask wearing? How do your officers feel about wearing masks? Um, was that a tough pill to swallow for any of them? No, actually, we've been wearing them for quite a while. Um, even before this started, we were doing mandatory masks on certain types of calls uh, before even the first public health order came out. Uh, so, yeah, I haven't heard anybody say, no, I'm not going to do it. So uh, I recollect, you know, my inclination is everybody in the department is doing it. And when you drive around, watch our agency, other agencies, you see other people wearing masks uh, on traffic stops and stuff. So it's become kind of the normal for a traffic contact. Is is that um... – you say you're coordinating with, this is Chris Rourke, you're coordinating with other agencies. Um, you know, I have observed some maybe drop the mask. Um, maybe if there's six foot distance, will you be policing your own people? Well, that'll be up to each agency, but built into all of this is that six foot distancing. Uh, that's one of the hard parts. Um, it's, the guidance overall has been that six foot for more than 10 minutes. Right. Uh, so short visits, 
you know, where we've been dealing with it all along is businesses, the employees have been required for a while to have masks on. Sure. But it doesn't say they can't walk around in the parking lot without a mask on. Right. But we get the public who doesn't understand those nuances. And that's where education becomes so critical to us. Uh, and working with the group that Joni's put together, uh, we have a pretty good information network going. So it's just we got to keep that network going to keep educating, uh, particularly as more tourists come into town. They're coming from areas that happen to wear a mask isn't even anything they've heard of. Right. I actually observed that at the grocery store over the weekend. There were definitely people from out of town, no masks, kind of lingering, kind of getting close. And uh, so I, I guess the key is like you were, you and Joni were sharing, educating businesses such as the lodging properties, such as the restaurants, um, so people can all be on the same page. Right. I want to let our listeners know that may have be, be maybe wondering. Um, we have you know in our advertising for uh, tonight's event, we did say that we would be joined by Senator Carrie Donovan. Uh, as far as I know, she is still on the House floor. We're in contact with uh, members of her staff, uh, and she will hopefully be joining us later. I'm sure that plenty of our listeners have questions for the senator. Um, I do want to get to a listener question here that I think is really interesting, and it, is, it involves a specific industry, but um, I think could be imply, uh, applied to a lot of different sectors of the economy. Um, so I'm just going to read this. This is from Christy in Gunnison. Uh, according to the long-term color chart, the Gunnison County Health Department has gyms st- stated as closed in yellow, a.k.a. community concern. What plan do they have in place to help fund the mandatory closed businesses to support their business costs, staff costs, and livelihoods of the business owners' families? Uh, and then if two, well, in question two, second part of this question, if time comes and some places will need to close due to a spike in this virus, will businesses be looked at in person on a case-by-case basis versus grouping them up um, in industries? Um, so I said, essentially, I think that question here is that, you know, now that we have a time to prepare for these decisions, will they be, um, you know, a more sort of uh, nuanced as opposed to, OK, we're going to shut down an entire sector of this industry. If parts of, the, you know, parts of that industry are able to find ways to, you know, abide by um, safe, safe protocols, will they be allowed to stay open um, on a case by case basis or will it just be done uh, by industry? I'm sorry. That, I'm going to send that question to Joni. Yeah, <laughs> I was thinking you wanted me to answer that question. Yeah, absolutely. And, and thanks for the question. I I recognize that the hardships that the businesses and individuals in our community have endured have been significant. I don't take that lightly at all. My goal in the yellow zone is to really focus on what are the greatest risks and how could we move back to the blue zone quickly. And so the reason I'm focused in that yellow zone on trying to reduce um, interactions in some settings and move the interactions on a limited basis or outside where there's less risk is to really try to um, change the change the direction that we're headed with the risk from blue to yellow to back to blue rather than heading to orange. And so my goal there is to, tr- again, to try to focus our efforts, those public health measures in a way that actually trend it the right direction so that we can return to that lowest risk level where we can, again, resume 
and in continue businesses that really are for the health of our whole community. Obviously, those business sectors are critically important for a number of reasons, but certainly our health is one of those major considerations for those industries. Sure. And here's another listener question uh, that I'd like to uh, send um, to, to uh, Chief Robinson and Joni. Feel free to uh, put in put in if you feel like you can. Um, is there any way we can place community service officers uh, at places such as City Market to hand out masks and information to incoming visitors? And that's a question coming from Joe in Gunnison. So have you thought about certain ways to expand or shift uh, energy in the police department at all, um, Chief Robinson? We haven't thought about the assignment of anybody to specific stores. Uh, one of the things we have to watch uh, is that we can't single out any one section of, a com- of the community. We have to apply it across the board and with 70, 80, 90 businesses in town, there aren't enough of us. Um, so that's where we'll be relying back on the businesses uh, to do that notification. Uh, we have looked at the idea, at least in Gunnison, uh, of equipping the officers with additional masks. So when they run into that visitor who's out of town who doesn't know about it, we'll be able to give them a mask so they can go ahead and continue their shopping. Um, but that order just came out. I actually haven't even read all the way through it um, because it came out prior to me taking off for Crested Butte where I'm at now. So, and, and I would just add that I do think there's different times in the businesses uh, where we see different, di- different uh, groups that are shopping in some of the stores, for instance, on a Friday evening, it seems like there's less folks that I recognize than on a Sunday morning. Um, it seems quieter on a Sunday morning. And when I go on a Sunday morning, I see more folks in a mask than I do on a Friday evening when I'm rushing through to pick up something at the end of the day. So there may be some opportunity there, even within the store itself, um, to look at some of those trends in what they're seeing within the store. I did see this weekend when I was at the store and I was really I'm pleased that the city market anyway had a sign up that masks were required based on a local ordinance. And while the public health order hadn't been issued yet, I assume that came from their corporate um, office that, uh, that provided that type of signage for them. And so I think they are looking at it closely within some of the corporate areas and in particular in some of the communities where there is a public health order. And since this was just issued today, um, it may be too soon to know what some of the stores will do as far as, um, f- you know, finding resources to be able to help educate folks and provide masks at the entryways. Awesome, Joni. Thank you for that answer. We uh, have another listener submitted question here. We're asking uh, this this listener, Corey, uh, out of Crested Butte South, wants to know more about the variance for sporting events, the request for variance for sporting requests. I think a lot of people are interested to know what's going to happen, for instance, with Cattlemen's Days. Um, but can you provide us a little bit more detail on that? Sure. So the goal is to request that, that what, what the goal is with the variance request that we have for the state is to request the state support our public health orders and our system in total so that we would be making decisions locally here. The decisions locally then um, based on our would be based on our risk 
locally, which would be based on the data or the data indicators locally. So then we could make our own decisions locally here based on public health in the community with what we want to do as far as rodeos and events and um, activities within the community. And again, considering what the risk factors are um, and uh, as well as what our community community wide risk is. And so currently at the state level, there are few things that are still prohibited under the state public health order, really um, sports tournaments, fairs, festivals, parades, receptions for more than 25 individuals, rodeos, car and horse racing, and sports events, uh, with the exception of sports leagues, as well as um, bars and group sizes only 25. So there's still some significant differences between the state public health order and what this would look like for us in Gunnison County at a blue level. But again, the variance request from the state is that they support us being able to um, function independently here within the framework that we've established with what our public health orders would be and how those would um, be monitored as far as the data indicators and what um, indicators would trigger us to move to a different uh, risk zone. So I'm really hopeful uh, that we get the total variance from the state. If for some reason that's not successful, I would expect that I'll work with uh, the planners. I've already met with them once for uh, the rodeo around Cattleman's Days. And once I have a written plan from them, which I think is forthcoming, then I'm, my intent is to review that, provide any feedback that would help strengthen that plan, and then to submit for a variance from the state. At the same time, I'm working in the background with my colleagues around the state, and there's quite a force <laughs> among the rural public health directors about a concern that there's not really much consideration about some of the rural needs. Rodeos and fairs and events in rural communities may have a significant different impact than they do in the metro Denver area. And so we're really advocating for that at the state level, for them to really look at that differently and look at it through the lens of local communities where we do have the opportunity to make modifications to those events so that those events can still be safe and successful, even if they're modified. Joni, this is Chris Rourke. Um, I'd like to move into uh, a different topic related, of course, and I'd like to talk about the um, protests that occurred in Gunnison last Tuesday night. And um, you and I have had some discussion about this or uh, exchange of information. Can you tell me about that approval process that went on prior to that event? Because the organizers did say that they received approval to gather in pods of 10. Um, tell me a little bit about how that process happened, because that there has been some um, uh, community talk that, you know, having concern about everyone amassing like that when we are under these public health orders. So, so tell us something about that approval process. Yeah. So um, for me, certainly this has been a, a challenging time for so many and certainly emotions run high, run high, just like um, Chief Robinson said. And I got a call um, the afternoon that the event was scheduled to occur asking if they, if I could provide um, guidance for the event. The event was scheduled, and what I had seen, um, certainly in other communities, is that there were gatherings that were occurring without direction or guidance um, from public health. And so I felt like it was at least an opportunity for me to give guidance. Well, typically it's taking me a few days to review plans that are getting submitted, and this was not a written plan for me to review. 
I still felt like I could give input on what I thought was the most critical. And, and when I talked with the um, person, I asked about what they expected as far as group size. They actually indicated maybe 50 individuals. Of course, I'm, I know there's no prediction um, what gathering might occur. But what I talked about then was really separating and separating into groups no larger than 10 and then um, dispersing those groups around the area so that they would be up or down the street, across the street, and that there wouldn't be intermingling between the groups. And then also to really consider the opportunity to utilize masks um, so that masks would be readily available for anybody that did come. And again, I believe in what the protesters are protesting. I do think that there are concerns around the nation, and I do think that folks being able to speak and protest and talk about those concerns is healthy. I think that's really healthy. I think the challenge is how do we do that safely at a time where we have a threat of a virus? And so I just used that opportunity on the phone to do the best I could to provide the public health guidance at that moment. If I'd had more time, I certainly would have wanted to work on that in a more structured way. It just was the time wasn't available. Let, let me follow up with a question, and then I want to pivot to um, Chief Robinson. But when I was out there, I was I was out at the demonstration, um, and as I have said before to people, I maybe saw a handful of people who did not have masks. Most of them were wearing masks. But the public outcry is there was no social distancing. So does wearing a mask make a difference in that situation? Or are we going to spike in two weeks? Well, I am going to monitor and I am concerned and I'm not concerned just for the events that have occurred here in Gunnison locally, but we've had events across the state and certainly the individuals that have participated across the state may well have been in our community also, or may live in our community. I don't really know, but monitoring the data will be important, but masks make a difference. Masks make a difference. Masks and six foot of difference make six foot distance makes more of a difference. And so I don't want to understate that I don't think it's one or the other, but both of them have an impact. Both six foot distancing and masks have an input impact. When you put them together, they have the greatest impact along with some of the other public health measures, but masks alone do have an impact. Um, and not, and by masks, I'm really just talking about facial coverings, not necessarily any type of medical mask, but you know, a, a cloth uh, facial covering of any type, does make a difference in preventing the largest droplets from being expelled into the air that could potentially another person could inhale or another person could be exposed to. Thank you, Jenny Reynolds. Yeah, thank you. Thank you to our listeners. Thank you to our guests for joining us this evening. I want to let you know that you're listening to Community Radio for the Gunnison Valley. I'm Christopher Bettle. Chris Rourke of the Gunnison Country Times is my co-host. We're asking questions uh, about life in a post-COVID-19 Gunnison Valley. Uh, we're joined uh, as well by Public Health Director Joni Reynolds, Gunnison City Police Chief Keith Robinson. We are standing by to see if Carrie Donovan, who is currently on the Colorado State House floor, um, arguing for a bill um, right now. It is her bill that she's sponsoring that they're discussing. So she was going to join us this evening. She didn't know the conversation there was going to run so late. So hopefully she will be able to join us before the hour is up. This special series is underwritten by Somrack Concept and Structure, a Crested Butte general contractor offering design and build services from drawings 
through construction to a turnkey finished home. Ben and Kate Somrak are joined by a team who feel fortunate and humbled to help others bring their visions to life and make this magical place a home. Somrak.net, S-O-M-R-A-K.net. Net. We're discussing currently um, where the two news stories of the past, um, well, really, you know, the past two weeks and then the past several months are overlapping here in Gunnison. Issues of social distancing during protests or rather lack of social distancing during protests um, against police brutality. Uh, there is an overlap there. Of course, we have heard from Joni Reynolds speaking on that. And I believe Chris Rourke of the Gunnison Country Times had another question that she'd like to give to Chief uh, Keith Robinson of the Gunnison City Police. Sure. Chief, uh, this is kind of a twofold question. While I was out there, I noticed that uh, the crowd decided to move on its own. Um, I think they were stationed in different locations. And then all of a sudden, this march down Main Street occurred. And I noticed that law enforcement kind of moved quickly, blocked off roads, kept people safe. First of all, I'd like you to describe the process of of pulling that off. And then secondly, I want to know, why didn't you get involved and maybe break the group up into groups of 10 so that they were compliant? Or or why weren't you talking to people that weren't wearing masks? Uh, um, What was your reasoning behind how you handled this situation? No, I guess probably the first part of that is just one, we knew there was going to be an event, um, so we just had a strategy of looking at our goal is to allow events to happen like that. Um, yeah, everybody's got a constitutional right to freedom of speech. Uh, our policies to allow that to happen, uh, but we want it to be safe. So we had plans in place that if traffic became a concern, uh, we would try to get the crowd to stay out of the street. Mm-hmm. If we couldn't get that, then we would just start shutting the streets down. Uh, that group moved so quick and fast, there was kind of a scramble. Um, but we had officers that that was their function was just to shut the streets down. Um, and then as it moved, the group was complete, you know, cooperated, you know, they moved down to Tamichi at one point. Um, and then once they stood there a while, it was getting dark. Uh, our concern was they wouldn't be as visible. Once we explained that to a couple in the group that had told us they were organizers, they agreed to move back up to the park uh, just because traffic's a little slower on uh, Main Street. And um, that just coincidentally, I think they'd had enough at that point and started disbanding. Um, as far as the mask wearing, it's kind of one of the, I don't know if it's a fallacy or what in law enforcement. At some point, you have to accept the fact you're never going to get 100% compliance. And when you look at any laws, there's always a percentage you know won't comply. Um, and then you have to also look at what's the objective. Um, the objective there is they wanted free speech. Uh, they knew that they weren't going to be in compliance. Uh, for those who chose not to wear a mask, the group did try. Uh, they did have masks there. They had on the table where they were making their signs for people to pick up. Uh, so the group was trying. So we're kind of back to what I'd said on how enforcement is, has been and will be moving forward. Uh, we hold the business, or in this case, the event coordinator responsible, but it's by education. They knew, they were told, 
by the time we would have done anything to the event coordinator, the event's over. Uh, so we've got the, edu the education done. Um, if it was an ongoing event, then we would be in Joni's office asking for some kind of civil stop and desist order. That would change the process. Um, but then the issue would not be about the mass, it would be about the event coordinator having to comply. Um, and that wouldn't be done there, it would be done probably at their house or their place of business during normal hours when there wasn't a heightened um, of what could happen. Sure. Uh, in that situation, are you concerned that any interaction or enforcement is going to inflame the situation? Uh, particularly in that situation, you know, they were there saying police brutality. You start telling you to go home, you can't be here. You know, this is a ranching community. Uh, I was listening to a conversation the other day and the thing that I heard from, you know, the one-sided part of the phone call was if you want to wave a rag in front of a bull, what do you expect is going to happen? That's kind of what we do with these large crowds. Uh, you try to keep them under control as best you can, but uh, you can't, you know, there's not enough cops to control 300 people or however many were there that night. Not and there was more concerned about 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 Tamichi Avenue, you know, I, I cruised there there a couple times. You had the cruiser parked in the in the middle, warning traffic to slow down. Um, people were kind of spilling into it, you know, edging those corners a little bit. But I think all in all, people stayed out of the highway, right. and that would be a safety concern. Right. We didn't want anybody to get run over, and that was the current concern as it was getting dark. Uh, the lighting on Tamichi for high rates of speed with large groups isn't the best. Uh, so that's why we tried to get them off of 50 as it was getting later. Great, thank you. Thank you, Chief Robinson and Chris Wark. Uh, you are listening to KBUT Community Radio. We are taking your questions for the last 19 minutes of this show. Call now, email now your questions. And I actually wanted to circle back, uh, well, I should say 970-349-7444. 970-349-7444 or news at kbut.org. And, and I want to circle back to, um, actually, we had a response from a listener. So a little bit of a dialogue going on between uh, the show. Joe from Gunnison wanted to follow up with a question that he asked about having um, volunteer or having community officers um, at certain zones. And he says here, I believe the number of non-residents passing through businesses such as gas stations and grocery stores is larger than assumed, maybe an assessment of these numbers would be useful. How would we pull that off? Um, and I'm gonna pose that to Joni Reynolds. Uh, can you do an assessment of who is going through our community and how? Um, so we do have some data. Thanks, Chris, for the question. And um, some of the data that's available is really based on um, data that's used in communities to determine around tourism and how many tourists are coming into the community. And so I think that would be one possibility, but I would, I would actually explore it more with some data experts um, of what they might indicate could be the possible numbers. I know I've seen the numbers of visitors to our community and they're staggering, tens of thousands of visitors that just climb exponentially in uh, the coming months here in July and August when it's gonna be you know, the most challenging time for us. 
I, I will just add, Chris, that one of my focuses is really on not only trying to keep us in the blue zone for the lowest risk, but also thinking about our kids returning to school this fall um, in the school district for all grades to be able to be back in the classroom together with their teachers and the administration and also to Western to welcome back Western and Western students um, to our community. I think those are two really important goals to consider. And in considering those goals, I think it's even more important to think about all the things we can do through public health measures, both in the community and for those that visit our community to try to make sure that we have enough um, opportunity to stay in that blue zone so that, the, again, we can have all the kids back in school, um, both at Western and in our school district. Um, and so, as I've mentioned a couple times now, and it looks like uh, less and less likely that Senator Carrie Donovan will be able to join us this evening. She is on the House floor arguing for a reinsurance bill. Um, so this was a question that I was going to pose to Senator Donovan. However, I think um, I'm going to send it your way as well, Joni. Um, this is a conversation that we knew we were going to have um, when this, you know, doing this show. We are trying to focus on um, COVID-19 issues here in the Gunnison Valley. However, um, there, of course, has been overlap, and we've discussed that already with protests via uh, protests for Black Lives Matter in Gunnison. So we know that across America, COVID-19 has affected communities of color more than white communities. I think it's fair to assume that that disparity may have played a role in the level of anger and hurt felt by some of the protesters we've seen demonstrating over the past two weeks. You've got to wonder, for instance, how many protesters arguing for Black Lives Matter are currently mourning the loss of a family member uh, or friend who died of COVID-19 in the past three months? My question uh, to Joni Reynolds, from a public health perspective, what do we do um, to, 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 to lessen the disparity uh, in those communities? Uh, a difficult, hefty question, but a very important one. Yeah, it is difficult and it is really important. So I appreciate you bringing that question forward, Chris. I do agree that there's challenges. Those challenges are considerations for public health um, throughout uh, the lens of public health, not just for COVID-19, but when we think about um, the differences in health disparities that happen in many different areas of health, whether that's access to healthcare or whether that's access to quality healthcare, when we look at some of the data indicators in our state, we actually see persons of color that experience more domestic violence. They experience a number of um, issues that really contribute to significant health impacts. And then when we add to that, what's really happened with COVID, which has been, we've talked about it in prior sessions, has really been a collective loss. This has been a grief process for everyone. The impact has been felt throughout the communities throughout all communities. But for those persons of color, it's much more likely, as you said, that they've been touched personally. Sadly, I think everyone will, before we're through the other end of COVID, will probably have a personal contact with someone who was directly affected by the COVID virus. But some, particularly those of color, have probably been impacted more earlier and definitely that contributes to their loss and that contributes to their emotional response and very justified. So what we do is, in my opinion, we look throughout our whole system around health disparities. This is, this is not unique to COVID. This is an issue that's endemic in our society and it's a societal issue that's much bigger 
and COVID. It's hard to imagine, but COVID seems overwhelming, but actually thinking about health disparities and how do we treat all persons of all color equally and equal access for all services and an equal right to all of those services is where the considerations are. And I know in our office for health and human services, well, recently, what you've heard about is my work in public health. A lot of the work we do also includes work um, specifically to outreach to vulnerable populations in our community. Some of those vulnerable populations are not stratified um, necessarily based on race. Some of those are based on economic factors and some of those are based on age, such as the elderly in our community. And some are based on immigrant status or those that have come to our community from other communities. And we do make an effort in our um, public health office and our health and human services department to be available and accessible and to provide equitable services for everybody. We actually spend time within our department looking at equity within our organization as well as equity for outreach in the work that we do in the community. And in my opinion, that's an opportunity for us to do collectively throughout the whole community is to really look through that equity lens. What is it that we're doing within our individual um, work, individual lives, as well as the contributions we're making in those businesses we work with and how can we bring equity more into those conversations and really rise it to the level where it needs to be. There couldn't be a better time to look through that lens. Have you seen inequities highlighted in our community due to COVID-19? I've not seen inequities in our community highlighted related to COVID-19. And I think one of the reasons is that our numbers are relatively small, Chris. So it's hard to see some of that when you're looking at a relatively small pool. But that doesn't mean that it hasn't happened. And it doesn't mean that because I don't have that awareness that others haven't experienced that. And I don't in any way mean to somehow negate someone's experience or how they're perceiving it. I just haven't seen that illuminated in the data in the, the case numbers that we've looked at so far. Sure. Uh, this is KBUT Community Radio for the Gunnison Valley. Thank you for tuning in this evening. Just uh, 10 minutes left on tonight's discussion. Uh, I want to thank the, our panelists this evening, Joni Reynolds, Public Health Director, uh, who just today put out a new public health order, long-term public health order that uh, I understand that we're going to be having uh, some months now. Um, which may come as a relief to many listeners who are, you know, wondering, um, often wondering in these past couple of months, uh, what new public health orders will come down and how it will affect their lives. Now we have a, a long-term public health order that you can find out about at gunnisoncounty.org forward slash COVID-19. Um, we want to make sure that we get all listener questions in before the end of the show this evening. Give us a call, 970 Three four nine seven four four four, or go, uh, send an email to news at kbut.org. And again, because uh, Senator Kerry Donovan was unable to join us this evening, I have a whole list of questions that um, I was really hoping to get to tonight. So I think we will try to get to them anyways, and perhaps we can uh, discuss something like prisons. Prisons have proven to be a hotbed for infection here in Colorado and across the country. Uh, you know, I was going to ask if there was any talk at the state lawmakers, state lawmaker level uh, about prison reform. Um, I wanted to pose that question first to Chief Keith Robinson. Um, I know that your department is not in charge of uh, prison, but I, I, I you know, you're, as a law enforcement official, I was wondering what your thoughts on that might be. 
I've not heard of anything, you know, that's going on at the state level. I know locally with the sheriff, uh, particularly in the beginning, we had initiatives to try to keep arrests to a minimum, uh, use more summonses. Uh, I know nationally you've seen where, and even in Colorado, they did some early releases to try to bring those numbers down. Um, that just that's kind of one of the things that um, happens is you've got a close proximity. Um, I'm sure they're going to need funding and stuff to try to maintain uh, what's in the prisons. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure what the state's doing on that level. Uh, Chief, let me ask you, those releases, I did do a story on that uh, in the early stages of this, it makes your job harder. Are you concerned about that? Uh, Gunnison's kind of insulated from some of that. Sure. Um, but definitely, if you look at some of the national news, uh, you can find studies or instances where crime rates going back up with repeat offenders. Um, this isn't the only thing that's called for early release. That's been a process that's been ongoing for quite a while nationally. Mm -hmm. um, so this is just another reason. Um, but yeah, there are different studies out there that show good and bad of early release. All right, Chris, and I believe Chris has another question for us, but I did want to pivot that to Joni Reynolds and see if she had any thoughts on um, improving prison safety, you know, specifically to COVID-19, as we've seen that it is an issue, but um, any thoughts in general? Yeah, I do think in general, there's opportunities to really look at all the institutions, and I think correctional institutions are one of them, but, you know, communicable diseases are a real concern where there's people that are congregated that live together in a congregate setting, in any congregate setting, whether that's our senior care center or the county jail or another setting. And I think really looking at it through that lens is really important. I don't know that that's been done enough in some of the settings. Again, focuses obviously on security in those correctional institutions and obviously um, the opportunity to look at that through the public health lens around how do we prevent the spread of disease whether it's because of a food outbreak or whether it's because of hepatitis or whether it's because of COVID-19 or influenza. I think um, this presents a new opportunity in one of the benefits I think of COVID-19 and one of the probably challenges of COVID-19 is that public health has been put in the spotlight. And by putting public health in the spotlight, I think it has illuminated some things that maybe happen um, behind the scenes for some institutions, but don't happen at a robust enough level for all of our institutions. Definitely we should think about it um, in all of our correctional institutions, how do we bring in that public health framework of prevention all the time, not just for COVID-19, but for all disease prevention. Joni, this is Chris Rourke. Um, the question I have surrounds herd immunity. We've heard a lot about herd immunity and coming into this with the blue status that you say we are the most relaxed that we're going to be until there's either a vaccine or herd immunity. How do you determine if we have herd immunity? Do you test 100% of the population? You say, okay, 70% has you know, some kind of immunity. How do you determine that? Yeah, that's a great question, Chris. And usually what's done is a population estimate study that's done where you take a, a sample of the population and you design a study that says, what, what percent of the population do you wanna um, estimate? In the case, we wanna estimate 100% of the population or what they're 
immunologic statuses, whether or not they have antibodies, whether they're, whether they're showing an immune status. Um, what you do is, and this is really epidemiology at its best, is you really look at how many people would you have to sample in order to say that that is a close enough um, approximation that you could apply that or generalize it to the full population. And so actually I had um, asked our uh, investigative science team to look at this for me to develop a, a study for us so we could determine how many people we would need to test. It's likely, it's likely that it would be hundreds if not thousands of folks that we would need to test. You would not have to test the entire population but to get a sample that's large enough that would really represent our diverse geography in our different um, communities, you'd want to get enough folks tested and you'd want to do that in a random basis so that it wasn't based on just those folks that wanted to get tested, which is, you know, a bit of um, a sampling bias is, you know, when you get some folks that want to get tested or maybe, you know, have the means or the, they can afford to get tested, that that's just a subset of the population can't be extrapolated out to say that that really represents the full population. And so instead you'd have to use some other um, tool, you know, say individuals um, that would be selected randomly based on, oh, I don't know, their um, voter registration or their driver's license status or something like that. You'd have to have some large pool of data that you could draw from and you could do that on a random number generation to say you start at number 16 and you pick every fifth person until you get that adequate size. For your sample but first we have to find what is that sample size how big does it need to be in order for us to get that estimate and again the investigative science team is looking at that for me and i expect we'll have that the second piece you know chris is i've had a lot of concerns about the testing that's been available so far for antibody testing and i really don't want to invest the resources meaning i don't want folks to show up for a test and then for that test result to not be valid for them individually right. or for us collectively to really be able to know um, what we want to know, which is how protected we are as a county. So there's still more work that's being done on the validation of those studies, but in the meantime, I think the investigative science team can get us at least indications of how big a sample we would need, and then when we can get the test matched up with that, then we can um, start to look at the logistics lift to actually get folks and get that study rolling. Well, the other thing that you may run into is you go to that fifth person, and that fifth person may not want to be tested. So sure. Move to the sixth, I suppose. Well, you, you would just keep rolling forward with that every fifth random ge generator. And so you just stay in that same mode. So if you were picking, and, and you, there's a whole um, system that does this for us, a software system where you would pick um, the fit, you know, a random number it would generate, and then it would generate a number of what um, sequence you would pick. And so if it was every fifth person, you'd want to continue to identify every fifth person on whatever list we were might be able to have available in order to get um, that total number that you need. Maybe we could tie it to jury duty. You either I have like to that. jury duty or you have to get tested. <laughs> yeah, I did reach out early to ask about jury duty and whether or not we might have, we might have the ability to actually do a random sample from the jury pool, but that's actually managed at the state level. And so that wasn't something that they could do here at the county level for me. So that wasn't an option, but definitely looking at what options we have that represent the whole county um, so that we could generate that random sample. How close are we to that? I think we're, I think the investigative science team has that on their list to get done for me in the next two weeks. 
and I think um, we're getting closer on the studies as far as the um, tests themselves, the antibody tests, but we're not still there. We're still not at a test that's actually been validated completely and has had that FDA rigorous approval. And so I'm hopeful that we'll see that soon, but you know, I've been hopeful now for three months. So we'll see when we'll actually get that uh, test. In. I think we'll have this, this, the number of how many folks we need to get tested soon, but the test may take a little longer. Well, as I've said, said before on this program, we could talk about, uh, we have talked about testing on, I believe, every episode of this um, yeah. show that we've had. It's been an ongoing issue, so I'm very glad that we got to talk about it tonight. It is just about one minute before 7 p.m. I want to go around and say thank you to my panelists. Joni Reynolds, Director of Public Health here in Gunnison County, thank you so much for continuing to be uh, a member of our panel. We appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate it. And I appreciate the opportunity to talk with the community. And I just want to leave one final thought that I really, I really do believe that our collective impacts, our collective efforts here can really make an impact against COVID. And I believe that everybody's individual actions and then our actions collectively as a community will make the difference in us being able to stay at the lowest risk here in our county uh, for COVID. And finally, I just want to say happy birthday to Chris Work. Oh, I was going to do that. <laughs> Thank you. Well, uh, so Keith Robinson, uh, not to, 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 to move the spotlight away, but thank you, uh, Keith, Chief Keith Robinson, for joining us this evening. We appreciate your perspective so much. Um, we hope to see you again on the show. Thanks. And yes, Chris Rourke, my co-host, um, we uh, happiest of birthdays. Thank you so much for spending it with us. Thank you. I think I'm old enough to qualify for the senior buffet now. <laughs> There's right, no buffets, Chris. Oh, Joni! It's my birthday! <laughs> this is KBUT Community Radio for the Gunnison Valley. You've been listening to a special live broadcast Q&A with local officials. Uh, sadly, we were not able to be joined by Senator Kerry Donovan, but I do suspect that we will get here on the program sometime in the future. Don't forget, you can always send questions to news at KBUT.org or call here into the studio 970-349-7444. Excuse me, 970-349-7444. Uh, my name is Christopher Biddle. Also, I want to mention kbut.org you can find past episodes and we will be posting this episode uh soon uh thank you for joining us bombie's world is coming up next <laughs>